This week, we talked to a business leader who uses her skills to bring innovative chemical products to market. Plus, we catch up on some stories related to economic development in the Edmonton region. Hi, I'm Karen Unland. And I'm Faiza Ramji. And this is Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton. Hi, Faiza. I feel like we've talked quite a bit about all the different ways that COVID has changed our world through the the course of recording this podcast. And kind of another thing that shows that is kind of the foregrounding of disinfectants. Like, did you ever think you were going to think so much about cleaning? Never. And uh, sometimes when I think back to when we were all wiping down our groceries, I almost feel like I'm thinking about a TV show I watched because it seems so you know, just something that you would never have conceived of before. So yeah, you're right. I've never thought this much about cleaning or air or chemicals or or anything. Exactly. (laughs) And we're like, we're not disinfecting our groceries anymore. And we know that COVID is airborne now, but we also just, I feel like there's like a lot more stuff being spritzed (laughs) wherever (laughs) I go. (laughs) <laughs> and you, you've been flying quite a bit, so you would have uh, encountered uh, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, it turns out that there's a lot of work to get the approvals necessary for those substances that we're encountering in the wild here. And if you pull on what it takes to do that, it's kind of gives you a window into the wider world of chemical supply chains, which is not something I ever thought I would find interesting, but I learned this week that I do. Uh, are you a nerd for supply chains? You know, it's interesting. I have become one. I think I have such a big appreciation for how hard it is to make and grow a physical business with physical products, especially things you get from all over the place. And the timing is so critical when you think about all the pieces that have to be aligned. And if one thing falls out of whack, then you could be hooped for quite a while. So I, mm-hmm. I never about supply chain that much until recently. And people who are good at it, don't let them go. Just hang on to them tight. Yeah, no kidding. Well, uh, a good way to to satisfy our growing uh, nerdity about uh, supply chains and uh, chemicals and such is uh, is this interview. I got a chance to talk to Chelsea Reschke, who's the CEO of Voran Group, which is a company that specializes in Canadian-made antimicrobial solutions. And uh, one of their big ones is called Bacoban, which is a disinfectant cleaner that Health Canada has certified as a COVID killer. Uh, and is used on a lot of air in a, a lot of airlines. Also, as we record this, uh, Chelsea is about to go to Germany as part of Canada's delegation to the G20 Young Entrepreneurs Alliance Summit. So there's lots to learn here. Let's here's my conversation with Chelsea Reschke of Voran Group. Welcome to Bloom, Chelsea. Hi, <laughs> nice to meet you, Karen. So your background is in oil and gas and pipelines, and I just want to start with how did you get from there to disinfectants and why? Um, I think uh, the easy common thread is two things. I've always been an entrepreneur, so this is just another extension of that. But my specialization throughout oil and gas um, life has been around corrosion and surface chemistries. So if you look at that in the context of a disinfectant, they're a lot alike. And therefore, you know, when I saw the technology that Voran had in Bacoban, I just had to take the job. It was an excellent opportunity. 
Can do you remember that moment where you said, "Oh man, this is my next thing"? I do remember having the conversation with my husband, going, "Okay, I'm going to leave a really stable corporate job and go back into the land of entrepreneurship." How do you feel about this? But um, endless support from the friends and family and husband, and um, ultimately, just um, he knows that this is really my calling. So, I mean, how can you how can you hold that back, right? So Voran Group existed already and they had developed something called Bacoban and needed somebody to come on board to help them kind of take it to the next level. Is that the way it worked? Yeah, I mean, Voran actually licenses Bacoban out of Germany. So the IP is our partners in Germany. And what Voran really needs is interesting products like this that have some hurdles getting to market. And they specialize in breaking down those barriers and getting the products through regulatory processes and commercializing it, finding distribution, et cetera. So that was the challenge. When I joined, you know, there was this, you know, swell of COVID, huge demand in this category, but still a lot of steps to take in order to receive the right kinds of credentials and Health Canada approvals. And that's really where I started the journey is, you know, two years ago working on that. Let's talk a little bit about that Health Canada certification, because that seems like uh, it's not like an online form that you just fill out. What what do you got to do in order to get the designation that you need? Well, one interesting gap that existed that we found really early in the journey was that you need to work with specific labs. You can't just work with the lab at the university. You have to work with labs that are GLP accredited. It's super specific and the capacity in the North American market had shrunk substantially. Demand was through the roof. So just simply getting in line to generate the data was a project. And then getting the data and applying that to Health Canada was another year's worth of work. Um, So we do operate within the drug world. So this is a product that receives a drug identification number. And that means that, you know, the efficacy data, the safety um, packages that you have to assemble for Health Canada are pretty much one step under a pharmaceutical drug that you would put in your mouth. So if you consider that, there's quite a few steps that we went through and a lot of dollars invested. And then, you know, here we are over a year after putting our, our paperwork in the queue with Health Canada. And you would have started that process at a time when there was we knew very little about SARS-CoV-2. Um, virus and whatever calls, uh, causes COVID. Um, since that time, we've learned that COVID is mostly airborne. Was that like a damaging thing for the potential of, of a surface disinfectant? Actually, because we were so focused as a society on hygiene, hand washing, improved health outcomes is actually, you know, driven a lot of demand for these products so much so that a lot of our customers were finding it difficult to receive supply. So while COVID is airborne transmitted from respiratory droplets, it still has a pretty substantial life on surfaces. You know, they're saying upwards of weeks on plastics, for example. So it doesn't negate the need to exist in a hygienic world. It just simply educated us about the ways in which we could mitigate transmission. Ultimately, we're, we're seeing a lot of interesting outcomes from COVID and improvements in how we handle hygiene. And I think how people clean and disinfect is one that's going to be here to stay for the foreseeable future. One group of customers that has really seen the value of that product is airlines. So I'm wondering, like, how do you find those customers and, and persuade them that you're the solution? 
Um, our persuasion uh, skills are less important than the product attributes, I would say, in this market. Um, we call the aviation disinfecting world the Olympics of hygiene because essentially you have to pass really specific testing in addition to the Health Canada requirements. So this is where Boeing and AMS standards come into effect. And our product has gone through those tests and has succeeded in proving out its surface compatibility. So you know, in a nutshell, the aviation world obviously needs things that effectively kill, but also doesn't damage the aircraft surface. Like it won't degrade it or embrittle it or corrode it because it's a lot different if that happens in an aircraft at 30,000 feet than if your desk gets a little discolored at home. Like there's vast health and safety repercussions. So, you know, that's why we call it the Olympics of disinfecting. And we're, we're part of that you know, very small circle of, of products that can achieve that result. Kind of zooming out from, from that particular product, you say in your LinkedIn bio that you're interested in strengthening Canada's chemical supply chain. So maybe tell me a little bit for a layman, what's weak about it or what needs strengthening there? Very simply put, in the pandemic, two major Canadian manufacturers were acquired by U.S. entities. And these were long-standing companies that had a very big um, share of the market that they supported. And therefore, what happened was a lot of the manufacturing was moved south of the border. And we've seen this so many times. Like This is such a Canadian story where companies grow, they're very successful, they get acquired by a U.S. firm. And there's really nothing wrong with that, but it did create very specific gaps in our ability to supply people with the products of highest demand, which is disinfectants, sanitizers, etc., so for us, we have a very long-term vision of being a top manufacturer in this space. Um, you know, we really think that we're going to differentiate through the um, uniqueness of the products that we bring to market, the safety of the products that we bring to market. And therefore, I think we're, we're well positioned to garner some attention because there's such a shortage right now. We need to strengthen Canada's ability to manufacture. Another Canadian company that you're working with is Biocenta. So you've sent, signed a memorandum of understanding with them to explore commercializing their tri-filler products. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that opportunity. Yeah, um, it is an Alberta story. I mean, they are based in Calgary. We're in Edmonton here. Um, they have a patented um, encapsulated molecule that essentially has antimicrobial properties when it's incorporated as a filler into, let's say, plastics or manufactured building materials. And this is a very large market. Low-cost fillers is about, you know, just about $60 billion a year currently. And we have the ability to substantially transform that market through, you know, bringing this unique tri-filler product to market successfully. So we're very excited to work with them. It's early days. We just announced this uh, collaboration. Our MOU was last week. And so we've got several steps to work through. But so far, you know, I think the thing that binds us together is that we're both very focused on having a major social impact. I mean, this is quite a transformative technology. And, you know, that's what really solidified our relationship was talking about our vision for transformation. This is a podcast about innovation. And sometimes people conflate innovation and invention you're not the person who's invented the the the, the chemicals that um, Foran is putting out into the world. What role does somebody like you play in the innovation ecosystem? Okay, so first off, I'm going to have to 
you know, have a caveat to say that if people are a fan and listeners of Naval Ravikant or Matt Ridley, they're going to hear me be a parrot for a second. But essentially, <laughs> I, I formally and fully believe in the doer-seller model. So I have never been the inventor, Karen. I'm not, you know, creative enough, I would say. <laughs> but I've always been the person that's able to like pluck those ideas down from the cloud and find all of the pathways that they need to get through, all the hurdles that need to be overcome, all the dollars that need to be applied strategically and the right people to, you know, bring life to this product and get it into the hands of the end consumer. So that's that's the inventor innovation duality, in my opinion. Inventors have a unique role to play, and I'm never that person. But on the innovation side, I'm able to catalyze ideas. It's a lot to expect somebody to be able to come up with a new thing and then also have all the skills to raise money and also have all the skills to recruit the right people and also have all the skills to figure out how to manufacture stuff. Like it's that that's actually not a thing, right? No, I mean, if you know that person, please uh, send them my way. See the rest of at borangroup.ca. No, I'm just yeah. But no, seriously, that it is, it is a really big challenge. And look, there's a lot of people that are trying to solve this problem. You know, like there's full organizations and institutions that are trying to get those inventions and those patents off the shelf, off the lab floor and into their final resting place where they can have substantial impact. But it doesn't always work that you have that in a unique single entity. So you've got to really look to partner with the right people. And I think that's really the Voran story is we're never going to say that we're the greatest inventors on earth, but we are really great at working through the commercialization hurdles and getting products into the hands of the consumer. You are one of four Alberta delegates heading to the G20 Young Entrepreneurs Alliance Summit in Germany uh, on October 27th. Um, That is when this episode is coming out, if uh, plans go according to what I have uh, written down. What do you want to bring to that conversation at the summit? Um, The summit is an incredible opportunity to share with our country leaders, all the leaders of the G20 and B20 nations, what they should be thinking about to help enable young entrepreneurs to do better and to be more successful. So the the themes that continue to resonate within the uh, G20 YEA groups and summits have been around sustainability, you know, looking at ways in which we can Um, have young entrepreneurs play a larger role in the energy transition. And right now, also energy security. I mean, there's never been a greater need to reevaluate supply chains. So I know that's a big topic that we'll be covering. Also, innovation. I mean, gosh, it's so inspiring to hear from all my other delegates what they're working on and some of the barriers that they face. And it comes up again and again that access to capital is a really primary one. So essentially what the G20 delegates will have at the end of our stay in Germany is a communique that gets shared with the leaders of all the G20 nations. So we would you know, expect to see this communique on the desk of um, Prime Minister Trudeau and his team as he heads into the formal G20 summit in Bali. And I think you got this opportunity through Futurepreneur. Is that right? Yeah. Tell me more about what Futurepreneur has done for you and does for other young entre- entrepreneurs. Well, I actually started with Futurepreneur as a volunteer actually oh. two years ago. So Futurepreneur does a couple of things. They have a partnership with BDC. And um, I would say for a lot of young entrepreneurs listening to this, Futurepreneur might just be the very first check that you receive of size. So they have a unique program in place for lending. 
and tends to be like one of the first funding vehicles that entrepreneurs access. They also have this mentorship program, which is, like I said, what I was involved in, where they match entrepreneurs with someone who has a specific expertise. And this is how I met the awesome, awesome people at Canon Energy. So I've been working with them as an advisor for two years now. They're a waste heat energy company based out of Calgary, like super impressive group of people. So I was mentoring them on business development. Um, And Futurepreneur also participates in sort of events like this G20 by gathering all of the delegates, doing a selection process, organizing, etc. So if um, anyone's listening to this and they're looking to get some additional resources, I would highly recommend reaching out to your local um, Futurepreneur chapter and finding out more. I'm wondering, uh, you're based in Sherwood Park, I think, right? Yes, yep. Yeah. Is there something about being in the Edmonton area that has made it a good place to build foreign group? I would say that it's pretty key that we have such strong logistics. I mean, we've got an excellent international airport here. We travel a lot. And I know that sounds like a small thing, but just having access to being able to get from A to B efficiently when you're so busy is super important. Um, I mean, we also have like a really key gateway of roads and infrastructure that connect our our area to the rest of Canada. So from a manufacturing perspective, that's very attractive to us. But also on the intellectual side, we've got incredible scientists that are graduating from the U of A. We've got great resources in the area that support health sciences, et cetera. So I think that we're we're looking at a pretty strong talent pool right here close at home where we don't have to go you know, to the other side of the country to find um, key leadership for our business. A lot of the things that you've mentioned are resonating for me around uh, a lot of the the work that the region is doing around taking advantage of the airport, of the capacity for hydrogen. Just as an observer of economic development in the Edmonton area, what, what gives you hope? Well, I'm like such an unofficial champion of the heartland. I mean, I really see this as being a key opportunity of our lifetime to really build out a world-class center for carbon capture utilization, circular economy investments that Dow is making is incredible. But all of it really comes on the back of some very thoughtful, you know, investments and projects that have led up to this. Like for example, Alberta for a while having the largest carbon capture pipeline in the world was really the proof of concept that was needed for Dow, I believe, to make that investment. Otherwise, if that couldn't have gone through the chain, then it would have been a lot more difficult for them to decide to to put that specific project here versus elsewhere. So we are competing on a world stage, and I think we're starting to do you know, a much better job. Um, the hydrogen future, especially with the recent um, investment in the Hydrogen Center of Excellence, to me, really signals that we're here to be a global player. You know, Canada has long been a primary um, producer of hydrogen, but now with the scale and quantum that we're talking about, there's a significant amount of investment and technical hurdles and distribution hurdles that need to be overcome. So, I mean, we're we're right here front row watching all that happen from Sherwood Park. And so I don't foresee any need for us to move for a very long time to see a lot of interesting projects and global players come to Edmonton and Calgary and Alberta. Do you see anything that's holding us back in being able to grab onto that opportunity? Well, as an entrepreneur, 
you can never, you know, get off a podcast without talking about red tape. So I would say just further reductions needed um, across, you know, whether it's energy regulation to Health Canada regulations federally. I think that we have some efficiency measures that would make it a lot easier for our consumers to access end products if some of those pathways to market were streamlined. You know, that's a really key thing. We can't be waiting years for some of these files to get approved. So I would say always red tape reduction would be welcome. (laughs) So whoever wants to champion that, I'm well behind them. It's going to be an interesting time for us as we see this mass migration of, of talent heading towards Houston. I mean, the Houston Transformation Initiative, I'm keeping a close eye on. I think that we probably need to put a similar program in place here to ensure that our talent stays in Alberta. So that's just a shameless plug that I'd like to put out to whoever's listening. Um, Yeah, so essentially the Houston Transformation Initiative is soaking up a lot of the clean tech companies, and rightfully so. I mean, they're offering exceptional advantages, packages, incentives, etc. So we're going to need to find a way to keep some of that really great brain talent and, you know, entrepreneurs here. Um, What's next for Voran Group? I'm really just looking forward to, you know, seeing the new pathway that we've carved with Bacoban approvals. We've got some exceptional interest from big distributors now. So it's really a scale up. It's an exciting time, you know, where you're finally seeing all the productivity of your investment start to take shape. So we're fully focused on a a major scale up there across Canada and eventually entry into the United States. So all the data that we've generated with Health Canada is applicable with the EPA. So the next step is just a further move south of the border with the same product portfolio. Um, Also with Biocenta, just working through this collaboration with them, we've got some significant milestones already accomplished. And now we're going to... uh, Look forward to getting TriFiller through the next steps as we move it to market. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today and uh, safe travels to Germany. Thank you very much. Great to talk to you. So Chelsea strikes me as an example of a kind of person that you need in an innovation ecosystem to make it work. She's not an inventor, but she's like a person who can perceive the roadmap and kind of marshal the resources to to move the company from point A to point B. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, I relate a lot to Chelsea because I feel like that kind of person too, where, you know, every time I have an idea about something, uh, like I thought it'd be great if there was an online way to sh- file share and then realize that Dropbox had been invented like five years before I started using it. And so I think that just as much as the ideas, it's like, how do you actually get those ideas into action and how do you build something? And I think it is a really specific skill set, you know, and there's different people you need along a company's journey. And unfortunately, it's probably not the same person that's going to take you the whole way. So I think people like Chelsea are actually in some ways even more important than the inventors, because if inventions don't go anywhere or impact anyone, then, you know, it's like that tree in the forest that nobody's there to hear. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think if we can cultivate, and those are tough skills to develop. So if we can cultivate more of those people, I think it's just a better way for us to be more inventive and, and innovative. Yeah. And she has some such subject matter expertise. Like she worked in mm-hmm. oil and gas and pipelines around corrosion. Like she's not like coming to it 
totally cold, but um, clearly where she feels the value that she can bring is to kind of that in that CEO role that she's in. It reminded me of the interview that I did with um, John Davis and Chris Casson from Zero Point Cryogenics earlier this season, where you have this guy who's an expert in quantum physics, and he is also a good talker and a good storyteller and, and could get the, the company to a certain point, but he needed a CEO with those kind of connection, selling, problem-solving skills to kind of take that business to the next level. Uh, another thing that I kind of heard in our conversation was, uh, in my conversation with Chelsea was this big picture thinking, which I suspect that she will bring to the G20 Youth Entrepreneurship Alliance meeting in Hamburg. Uh, the theme is harboring peace and sustainability through entrepreneurship. She and uh, 47 and their delegates from uh, Canada will be joining a bunch of people from all over the world to to come up with uh, some thoughts to put before the leaders of the of the G20. What do you think of the value of those kinds of gatherings? I think it's amazing. I think all those kinds types of gatherings are just incredible because if you don't have the big picture thinking, then you kind of it's hard to anchor your roadmap to something about where are we trying to go and what kind of ideas are we trying to unleash and you know, the thing about these global issues is exactly that they're global. And so the ideas that we have given our point of view or our resources or strengths, it's going to be very different than somebody in another part of the world. And so I think that the more we can get people, you know, colliding uh, in, in the same space, the better. But the only thing I always wonder about these, and they might have a solution to this that I'm not familiar with, but is like, what happens after, right? And how do those people keep working on something or stay in touch? Or are there any actions that people can take away from them? And I'm sure people are getting better at setting those things out. But, you know, it's a shame to have, if you'd have all that brain power in one space, and then you don't have uh, a path forward. But I, I'm a huge, huge proponent of these. Yeah. Um, her fellow Albertans on this, in this delegation are Chad Midnight of Aqueduct Water Systems, Jordan Hanna of Linked Digital Services, and Lauren Bless of and Clothing. So it's quite a, a wide variety of kinds of businesses. And I, I would imagine that kind of, um, that there's all kinds of diversity that's going to lead to some interesting ideas being sparked. Uh, we also heard about her front row seat uh, to the development and energy transition potential of Alberta's industrial heartland and kind of the need to keep going there to to make sure that places like Houston don't come and eat our lunch. Did that resonate with you? See, not, not very much. I mean, mm-hmm. I like the idea of going to um, the industrial heartland and, and working and moving forward on that priority. But I don't think, I think all of these opportunities and challenges are way too big for anyone to eat anyone's lunch. Uh, And I think the more people that are focused on them, the better, because, you know, if, if we're trying to do something here and no one else is, how is it going to, how is it going to get the scale that it needs? Um, Mm -hmm. And so I do think there's a really big opportunity to partner with places like Houston and see where their leadership is, where's our leadership, how do we make those things um, align in some way? Uh, but I, I just think that in general, I think, and I think it's because we hear it so much from a regional perspective, even with like Edmonton and Calgary yeah. and that kind of competition to me, just doesn't, just doesn't even make any sense necessarily. Yeah. 
Well, and although, yeah, it's interesting that the competition for people seemed to be the, the main thing that she was concerned about, which is like making mm-hmm. sure that we don't lose our talented people there. But like you yeah. say, um, people are going to move where they move for lots of different reasons. And you kind of want to just be a good reason to come back if they if they do go. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll take a break uh, to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about economic development in the region and pull on some other threads from that interview. Bloom is brought to you by Edmonton Unlimited. Here's a message from our sponsor. Edmonton is a city of innovators with solutions to the world's thorniest challenges. Whether you launch here, land here, or pivot here, Edmonton Unlimited is here for you. It's an organization that provides the tools and support that innovators, big thinkers, and problem solvers need to turn their ideas into solutions. Learn more at edmontonunlimited.com. This episode of Bloom is also brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Alberta Blue Cross understands that running a small business is tough, and they understand that business owners in Alberta are busy. Let Alberta Blue Cross give you peace of mind with a group benefit plan. They offer health, dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees. Alberta Blue Cross group benefit plans are easy to manage anywhere, anytime, and on any device, making it easy for you and your employees to access. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. So before the break, we were talking uh, a little bit about the region, and we heard Chelsea Rushke's enthusiasm for the promise of hydrogen in uh, the Edmonton region, which leads me to mention a bit of a scoop, I would say, from our sister podcast, Speaking Municipally. She doesn't usually uh, so much engage in scoops as uh, ragging on the city hall for not doing what they they think they should do. But uh, they did uh, have Chris McLeod and Sherry Buslama from Edmonton Global on the show. And Chris let drop this idea of a 5,000 vehicle challenge to both to build kind of both supply and demand for the hydrogen powered vehicles that are a key part of like a bigger hydrogen economy, which in turns is connected to decreasing carbon emissions. So the idea there is to kind of go back and forth between companies with hydrogen vehicles in their fleets and then between them and then companies that make infrastructure and kind of keep scaffolding their way to 5,000 hydrogen vehicles by 2027. What do you think of that idea? I love it. I think it's an awesome idea. It strikes the balance of something that, you know, we talk about from an industry perspective or an even like a economic development perspective. But oftentimes when we do things like that, there's no, there's no way that makes sense on how to get there. And then a lot of the ec dev organizations are kind of picking winners, which is not really what they want to be doing or, mm-hmm. or you are, are in the business of doing. But with this, what I love about it is, you know, they're, they're de-risking the opportunity and saying, look, we'll help you get there by doing what we do best, which is connecting people, finding customers for something. It reminds me a lot of what the airport was doing with, um, with the, they're still doing with the Alberta Aerospace and Technology Center is like, Hey, look, you want to innovate on something? We'll be your first customer and we'll give you place to do it. And if you can sell one to us, then it kind of gives you the money that you need to actually build the thing. And then it's up to you to scale it but at least you've got some proof of concept. So uh, I think it's awesome. And, um, 
you know, if we are going to be a, you know, big player in hydrogen or, or any other power source in the future, we kind of have to start somewhere. And so 5,000 vehicles sounds like a better, a better number than zero. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's our t-shirt, a better number than zero. That's right. Uh, uh, Mentioning the airport is a good segue into something else I wanted to talk about. We kind of heard from Chelsea that they're finding some traction for Bacoban in aviation. Uh, And she says, aviation is the Olympics of hygiene. And I suspect it's the Olympics of a lot of spaces because it's high stakes, but high reward. Um, if you can pass all the rules. And uh, a lot of other Edmonton companies seem to be finding a niche there. So one of them that we wrote about this week is AirTrail, which makes software for pilots and airlines to track kind of those all those operational details that you have to report back to regulators. Uh, thoughts on AirTrail's progress? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see them grow. Uh, I know Bradley has worked on a few startups in this ecosystem, and this one you know, I love the, I love the opportunity of this one. Um, it's so funny. It's like one of those things, again, that you see what they're doing and you think, oh yeah, why has no one done this before? I mean, it makes sense that you don't, you want to remove things from being manual and written by hand into mm-hmm. making them uh, more digital and easier for the pilots to actually comply with. Right. So I think it's a great idea. And it reminds me a lot of just in general, a lot of companies I think are thinking about this whole like field to cloud the type of transition. And, you know, we see it a lot in like trucking companies, you see it in construction companies, but you're right in that airlines, like it is high stakes. You you know, if something goes wrong, it's really hard to figure out what that was. And and you want to figure it out because obviously the the stakes are are really high there. So I think like a lot of companies, I hope that AirTrail is going to find that they stay in Edmonton, but have a ton of global customers because uh, yeah. this is definitely a good problem for them to be solving. Yeah, and they're they're dealing with the kind of little regional kind of airlines or medivacs or like one man operation kind of thing that we don't think about necessarily if we think of yeah. aviation as like the jumbo jet, but there's like a whole layer underneath there. Totally. There's a couple of companies at Launch Party 13 that are tapping into aviation-related markets as well. One of them is Liquid Software Corporation, which has come up with a cloud-based business software that seems to have caught on with some aviation and aerospace companies based on the pitch that we saw at, at Launch Party 13. Uh, another one, Air Market, provides customers with tools and services to operate unmanned air vehicles uh, safely. So there's like all kinds of different business opportunities kind of in the air above us. Uh, I guess that gives us a chance to kind of close the loop on Launch Party 13, which we previewed last week. Uh, Any high-level takeaways from that evening? I mean, the first thing I'll note about that evening was that it was really interesting to be back in a place with so many people. I haven't gone to that many events lately, like, you know, since COVID. And it was so nice to see people that I haven't seen in a long time. And I know everybody says that about the first few events that they go to, um, but it was really nice. And so from that perspective, I really enjoyed it. The one interesting thing is that we have a lot of great companies around here. We have so many great startups, but it would be great to sometimes see a bit of a follow-up on what companies have been able to achieve. You know, we, we tend to, I mean, it's hard, you can't focus on everybody, but we do mm-hmm. focus a lot on startups. And then we kind of forget that a lot of these actually end up scaling up and contributing 
to their industry, to our city in so many ways. And I think launch party is just a great reminder of that. Um, and, and it was nice. I mean, it was an anniversary style event. And so it was nice to see a lot of people who have pitched at launch party before in attendance. And so that gives you a good chance to catch up. But yeah, I think like, you know, sometimes we forget about, forget about the fact that the real hard work starts after startup. Yeah, that's true. There's also, um, in any given launch party class, there's a bunch of companies that didn't work out. right? Right. And that, could be an interesting thing to look back at too, because every one of those experiences is going to be something that those entrepreneurs use to propel mm-hmm. them to the next thing. And yeah. uh, and that also is part of what kind of helps make the ecosystem work, I think. Yeah, I'd agree. Well, we'll keep an eye out for what those companies uh, do next. And you'll likely hear from some of them on future episodes of Bloom. That's it for this week. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes of Bloom. And if you like this episode, why not share it with a friend? Bloom is produced by Taproot Edmonton with editing by Castria. Our music is by Dave Von Beaker and our cover art is by Vicky Wierczynski. Bye.